0: Welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour, China's Space News Roundup. I'm Jean Deville, joined as always by Blaine Curcio. This week, we discuss the concept of a China-U.S. space race from the perspective of a high-ranking Chinese space official. We discuss how China is expanding Beidou technology beyond its borders. But first, let's discuss how the Haiyang spaceport is becoming a bigger and bigger thing in China, as well as some speculation on the company Landspace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. So the Haiyang Spaceport and Sea Launch. To start the discussion, let's talk first a little bit about the company Caspace. Caspace is a commercial launch spin-off of the Chinese Academy of Sciences and has been developing the ZK-1A solid-fueled rockets for about two-ish years now and has been in the past few weeks testing its erector vehicle, basically transferring the rocket from its transport vehicle to the erector and using the latter to put the 200-ton rocket from a horizontal position to a vertical position and then back. The ZK-1A could be land launched as far as we know, but we know for sure that it will be sea launched. And that's because the Oriental Spaceport of the coastal city of Haiyang in Shandong province held a ceremony a couple of weeks ago on October the 30th for the construction of a new type of ship dedicated to sea launch. And this is a really a massive ship that would be 162 meters long and 40 meters wide. And the images shown at the ceremony also uh, showed a rocket on the ship that looked very much like the ZK-1A. And the ship was reported to be available in 2022, and this coincides quite well with the first launch of the ZK-1A, which should have its inaugural launch um, in March 2022, according to a WeChat post of the company Caspace. And we also uh, got from that WeChat post that the inaugural launch will put six satellites into orbit. So it seems that the Haiyang Spaceport is really something that's becoming big in China. It was already in charge of pioneering sea launch in the past with the successful sea launch of the Long March 11. In 2019 and 2020. And at the time, it was from two modified sea platforms. And we also know that CALT, the Chinese Academy of Launch Technology, has a commercial subsidiary called China Rocket. And China Rocket has signed an agreement with the city of Haiyang to set up a manufacturing center for their Jielong solid field rockets. And the fact that they're setting up in Haiyang probably suggests that they're also looking to do sea launch. And finally, there's a final company called Ospace that has been showing over the past months um, sea launch illustrations for its future gravity series of rockets so uh, yet another potential company that would be doing sea launch although we don't know for sure that it will be in Haiyang but it it does make sense right because all the other companies are going to Haiyang for sea launch and perhaps the most interesting thing about the Haiyang spaceport is um, going back to that ceremony on October the 30th, the city had mentioned the construction of a sea launch ship, but it also mentioned that it would support small to medium lift, solid and liquid fueled sea launch. And even better, it would support launch vehicle recovery. And this description of liquid fueled rocket launch capabilities from the sea and launch vehicle recovery, that does not match with any of the rockets we mentioned previously, the ZK-1A, the Long March 11, uh, the Geelong rockets, all these are solid fueled rockets. and so it seems that there could be a mystery rocket that has not been mentioned and that would match that description. But up to now, up to last week, this was mostly a mystery. But we may have received this week a photo that sort of solves that problem and suggesting a very specific rocket that fills uh, those criteria. So um, Blaine, you want to tell us about this photo that really ignited the Chinese social media last week?
1: Absolutely, but first just one point on O Space, it would certainly make sense for them to launch from Haiyang because as far as I recall they are headquartered probably in Yantai if my memory is correct, but certainly in Shandong province. So so they would be local. But yeah, getting to the uh, the, the mystery rocket. Um, so this week we saw some pretty epic sleuthing from a couple of members of the China Space Industry Twitter sphere in relation to this mystery rocket at the Haiyang launch center. Uh, so first we saw from the always excellent Cosmic Penguin pointing out that in the background of a photo of the ZK1A, you could see very intentionally blurred out what looked to be another rocket and what looked to be a rocket, more specifically with the very specific livery of a Ju 2 from Landspace, which is to say a white rocket with some kind of red flames coming up the side. And so this was, you know, we were looking at this on, on Twitter and, you know, it was not entirely clear, but it looked maybe 75% likely that this was a ZQ2. Uh, then later in the week, we saw from the always excellent Ace of Raz Grizz, a photo from Google Maps showing a satellite image of the launch site and what was unmistakably a Landspace ZQ-2 rocket right next to the ZK-1A. And so this brings up a couple of questions. Uh, So first, what the heck is the ZQ-2 doing at the Haiyang Spaceport? We have not heard anything from Landspace up to this point about launching from Haiyang or Shandong Province or or sea launches or anything like that. Um, And then the second point is, you know, is the Haiyang Spaceport planning to develop the necessary infrastructure to have cryogenic powered launch vehicles? Namely, either infrastructure to allow for many trucks with cryogenic fuel to come into the launch site, or alternatively facilities at the launch site to produce the cryogenic fuel. There would also need to be a, a bit more complexity in the launch pad because of the nature of cryogenic rockets. So, uh, again, not, not entirely clear what is going on, but what looks very, very likely is that this was indeed a ZQ-2 rocket uh, next to the ZK-1A. As we've noted before, LandSpace is one of China's leading commercial space companies, and we now see these two rockets next to one another, seemingly both ready to launch early next year. Uh, I would also just a couple of last points about this, this story. Um, impressive rate of speed by Cast Space in terms of their technological advancement. The company was founded in December of 2018, which is to say less than three years ago, and they appear to be some several lo- months away from their first launch. Um, and I think one other interesting kind of question that, that we don't really know yet, but it'll be interesting to watch is is the Cast Space rocket going to take away some of the Chinese Academy of Sciences demand from some of the other commercial launch companies? Uh, so this would notably be probably X-Space in the sense that X-Space has done a very good business with CGSDL, for example, which is, of course, a spin out from the Chinese Academy of Sciences. And so it's not entirely clear, but I would venture to say that we will probably see some CGSTL satellites launched on a ZK-1A at some point in the next several years. So, Jean, unless there's anything else from your side on Haiyang, perhaps we can go into the China-Africa Beidou conference? Yep, let's hear about Beidou. Cool. So this is actually from a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, it, but it bears mentioning... So earlier this month, on November 5th, we saw the first China-Africa Beidou System Cooperation Forum, which was held in Beijing. The forum saw representatives from 48 different African countries, including eight ambassadors to China, and it also had eight senior Chinese government officials in attendance. The forum was held at the China Great Wall Industry Corporation headquarters, which, as we mentioned in the Dongfang Hour Beijing Deep Dive episode, is in a pretty epic former hotel in what is a very picturesque and peaceful part of the center of Beijing. So pretty excellent place to hold an international forum. And so as I mentioned, we saw a variety of high profile individuals attending this forum. We won't go into all of them, but just to name a few people that gave speeches about China-Africa Beidou cooperation, we saw He Yubin, who is the chairman of the China National, uh, sorry, the China Satellite Navigation System Committee, we saw Xu Hongliang, the Secretary General of the CNSA, and from the Sub-Saharan African side, we saw the Senegalese Minister of Digital Economy and Telecommunications, whose name I will not attempt to pronounce here because it is very tricky, uh, and also the African Union Head of Science and Technology, whose name is also rather tricky. And I would also just one last thing point out that we cannot necessarily be 100% sure about the African attendees because the article was written in Chinese and there was some transliteration of their names. And so we did our best to find the African figures whose names very closely resembled the Chinese transliteration, but we cannot be 100% sure. Digressing... Among other things, what we saw at the conference was mention of the Africa 2063 project, which was started back in 2013 and was sort of this 50-year plan or is sort of this 50-year plan uh, to digitize Africa and make it a more developed area. And so the forum comes at a pretty interesting time for China's international cooperation in general. We've seen over these last, you know, say year or two or three, increasing concerns is probably a fair word about the Belt and Road Initiative and and sort of the Chinese investment and involvement in other countries. And in more recent, you know, in the last year or so, we've seen some of China's, you know, kind of flagship countries, so notably places like Ethiopia, um, have a lot of internal issues. And so this is really kind of, if not calling into question some of these projects, it is making them a little bit less certain. And I think this is probably going to be a good thing for China's space exports, because I think up to this point, we've started to see China... Uh, sort of move from selling very big pieces of physical infrastructure to renting these kind of things. And I mean, this is particularly in space. But as an example, over the last 15 years, we've seen China sell a number of 300 million US dollar communication satellites to developing countries. And this is becoming harder and harder. And so what China is doing is selling applications. So they're launching their own satellites, and then they are selling the either the, the bandwidth or the Earth observation data or the satellite navigation data, to these countries. And that means there's a smaller upfront commitment from these countries. It also gives China a somewhat greater degree of control over the infrastructure. And, you know, you could argue that it it probably will be better received by the global community in the sense that these are less debt-inducing projects. I mean, we, we talk about these very large communication satellites, for example, as pride sets, which is to say the purpose that they are launched is not for practical purposes, but it is for national pride. And so again, as much as we like using the phrase pride set, um, it's, probably going, it's probably not a bad thing that we're going to start seeing fewer pride sets and more you know, Chinese exports of applications. And so moving forward, I think it's safe to say that we're going to see China continue to roll out digital infrastructure in a lot of developing economies and that's going to include a space component. I think up to now, there's really only a couple of countries that are really able to export what we could call kind of a a full stack of terrestrial telecommunications networks and smartphones and apps and other connectivity. And really that would be the US and China and arguably the EU. And so we're likely to continue to see this kind of digital land grab where Chinese and US companies are trying to forge digital alliances in other countries, uh, both as a proactive measure for their own national interests and in some cases, kind of a blocking measure uh, to kind of block out the other com- country from going into that third country. And so while China's Beidou ties in Africa are less strong than they would be in, say, Southeast Asia, where Thailand and Cambodia, among others, have received Beidou-related investments, we should expect to see more Chinese investment into the continent over the next handful of years, and probably in particular, or if not in particular, but you know, probably also in the space sector. And just a last point on this topic, For a really great deep dive into the Digital Silk Road, I would recommend an excellent podcast conversation from last week on the China Africa podcast with Jonathan Hillman of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, or the CSIS, in Washington, D.C. And so Hillman spoke about his recently published book, The Digital Silk Road, China's Quest to Wire the World and Win the Future. Excellent title, Jonathan. Um, And the talk was was pretty excellent in the sense that not only did, did they give a great overview of the Digital Silk Road and China's plans, but there was also a lot of um, kind of comparative discussion about the way that the U.S. perceives this, given Hillman's position in Washington, D.C., speaking with a lot of U.S. political people. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely a recommended uh, podcast episode if you're interested in more about the Digital Silk Road. And uh, jean unless you have anything on, uh, on the Beto conference or the Digital Silk Road, uh, we have some interesting discussion from Yip Haitian.
0: Yeah, I think so. We saw uh, China's top-level space veteran, Ye Peijian give a 30-minute interview to CCTV last week, which was absolutely fascinating to analyze and brings up a lot of topics uh, as to why China is pursuing a space program, the place of competition with the U.S., and also China's future deep space exploration plans. Now, before getting into that, just a brief portrait of Ye Peijian. So a lot of space watchers talk a lot about Chinese space, but very little people talk about actual people that are behind the chinese space program and that's because china often displays its space program as a collective effort and you have probably fewer of those very visible very vocal people such as elon musk or jeff bezos in china but yet if you're really paying attention you realize that there are still some recurring names such as Ouyang yang ziyuan luan enjie zhang ke long lehao and ye peijian is definitely also one of them so ye peijian is a 76 year old top-level space engineer in China, who began his career in satellite manufacturing in the late 1960s and whose career grew spectacularly starting from the 1980s after he joined CAST as a Chinese Academy of Space Technology. He became the chief commander and engineer of the second generation Ziyuan Earth observation satellites in the 1990s, and after 2001, he held increasingly important positions in China's lunar exploration program, eventually becoming chief engineer and designer of the missions. And in 2003, he was elected to the title of academician of the Chinese Academy of Sciences and was awarded the honorary title of people scientists by Xi Jinping himself in 2019. I think there are only five scientists in China that have um, that title. And so in a nutshell, this guy is just one of the most respected space people in China. And his words are definitely worth analyzing, which brings us back to his interview from last week. I think one of the highlights of this interview was when Ye Peijin discusses the motivations behind China's space program. When a journalist asked him, you know, what's the point of the Chinese space program? He mentions that while the objective of China's space exploration program is most definitely space sciences, but geopolitical reasons are increasingly playing an important role and that basically space is also an important tool to assert superpower status, namely versus the U.S., which, according to Ye, has you know repeatedly taken an arrogant stance vis-a-vis China on space achievements, quoting him here. And he also mentioned, uh, among other things, the China U.S. talks in Alaska. And this brings us to a very frequently discussed topic when we're talking about Chinese space, which is, is there a space race between China and the leading space superpower, which is the US? The Chinese narrative of this question is that the space race approach is something that the US has started and has possibly exacerbated with things like the Wolf Amendment, which prohibits basically NASA from having any direct collaboration with the Chinese. And there's also this opinion among Chinese space watchers that China has its own agenda, it sets its goals um, years, possibly decades in advance, and it is not interested at all in taking part in a space race. But I think Ye Peijian's interview from last week tends to contradict this narrative a little bit and tends to suggest another story. I think there's a very important moment during this interview where Ye Peijian says, uh, Basically meaning, what other people have done, we want to do it. What other people haven't done, we also want to do it. And what other people have done well, we need to find a way to do it even better. And so that I think this shows that space exploration breakthroughs are now considered increasingly as important geopolitical tools to demonstrate superpower status and to be on equal footing with um, the U.S. And I think Ye Peijin goes even further. He expands this... Uh, This idea to just space tech in general, saying that space technology is not a matter of just, you know, commercial initiatives where you're looking at the return on investment, but it has, um, you know, entered the realm really of national security. And I think this also joins a a statement of Ye Peijian that he made in 2017, where he famously said in an interview, the universe is an ocean and the moon is like the Diaoyu Islands. If we don't go now, our descendants will blame us. And for those who aren't familiar with um, Chinese geopolitics, the Diawi Islands are islands where China has strong territorial claims. And to understand the statement you have to look at the world from a Chinese perspective. China thinks that the world today and its territories and its geopolitics were to a very large extent shaped by the 18th, the 19th, and the early 20th century, which is a period where China was not very active on the international scene for various reasons. And the consequence of that from a Chinese perspective is today that they are still paying the price of those decisions literally 100 and 200 years ago. And as a consequence, also, China would need to be Proactive for the geopolitics of the future, and that notably includes space, because space resources, which seem to have little value today, could be extremely important in the future. Now, having said all of this, I think there's there's the question of is that just the opinion of Ye Peijin, or is that the general opinion? of China's uh, space establishment? And I think this is a very good question. I do tend to think that it's it's rather the latter. I think now this is a personal opinion, of course, but I think there's a, a general concern and a genuine concern in China that the country may be deprived of space resources in the future by the US. And we've heard similar things that were voiced during China's Deep Space Exploration Forum a couple of weeks ago, it was in October in Shenzhen, and in a recent interview of the co-CEO of the commercial launch company, O Space Yao Song, he also mentioned, uh, quoting him here, that space resources are first-come, first-served, first-occupied, first-served. If we don't go now, the sky will be locked up in the future. So. So that's that. I think, of course, at the same time, it would be wrong to reduce China's space program to geopolitics and prestige operations. And while there's definitely quite a bit of that, I think that also personally as an aerospace engineer or someone at least that has studied aerospace engineering, I believe that the space industry in China tends to be filled with people that are passionate about what they're doing, especially since aerospace doesn't really pay very well um, in China. I think Ye Peijian does sort of hint at this when he says that a lot of aerospace engineers are in a buhuan state of mind, literally meaning that they would not trade their position even in exchange for gold. And so there was also a recent TV series in, in China called You Are My Glory, Shou De Yong And I think the story about a Chinese aerospace engineer in Shanghai, I think that embodies this spirit quite well. Um so yeah i think that was uh, probably the most interesting part from uh, Ye Peijin's interview in my opinion there were other things uh, that discussed you know nobly china's upcoming space exploration timelines uh, but for the sake of keeping this episode short we're going to put that in the newsletter so do check that out if you're interested and um yeah without without anything else to add uh blay any thoughts on Ye Peijin, or shall we wrap up
1: yeah, so, so just just a few quick points on on, uh, on what you just uh, discussed. So first of all, I, I do very much like the title of people's scientist. It takes me back to about 20 years ago when uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson was the people's champion, and uh, we all still smell what the Rock is cooking. So that's that took me back to about age 14. A um, couple of other points: uh, Ouyang the UN, one of my favorite names in the Chinese space <laughs> sector. One of those rare four-character names that you only come across once every. Year or two, uh, and the last point, very small, kind of administrative point. Just to be fair to our good friends over in Japan, such that we have them, the gaoyu Islands are of course known as the Senkaku's to the Japanese. So, uh, no, no discussion there as to Absolutely. which one is correct. But I think, it, yeah. Um, so yeah, just to wrap up the week, we have one last uh, small news item. So we saw this week, Ada Space or Guoxing Uh they raised a highly specific 355 million RMB Series B round of funding, about 55 million U.S. dollars, with the funding coming from a couple of Guangdong-based funds, namely Shenzhen Oriental Fortune Capital and Dongguan Financial Holdings. And I would point out that um, Ada Space is noteworthy for having collaborated with a couple of like second or third tier cities to launch satellites, which is fairly common among Chinese space companies. And I would expect, uh, this is speculation, but I would expect that In the future, we may see some collaboration with the city of Dongguan, which is known historically as a manufacturing hub, which has sort of been hollowed out to some extent as manufacturing has left Guangdong, and they may very well be looking for some new industries to provide some additional vibrancy to their economy. So, um, you know. Relatively small piece of news uh, in the sense that there were not particularly many details provided as to where the funding was going to be going. But nonetheless, a big congratulations to Ada Space. That is, as far as I recall, it might well be the s- third or second largest round of funding by a satellite manufacturer. Certainly smaller than CGSTL's massive round, and I believe probably smaller than one of Galaxy Space's. But apart from that, I think that 355 million RMB might well be number three. So, again, Big congratulations to Ada Space! And with that, a um, couple of small administrative points. As we always say, a special shout out to our good friends at spacewatch.global and Go GoTekonauts, two great sources for space industry news. And if you're interested in more news, we have uh, quite a few additional stories this week that will be covered in the newsletter, which is, of course, available at newsletter.dongfanghour.com. Isn't that a convenient URL? Um, That being said, nothing else from my side. Uh, So, Jean, unless you have anything else to add, I think we can wrap this up as another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 15th to 21st of November 2021. And uh, we will see you next time.